in the play The Last Days of Judas Iscariot by Stephen Adley Gurgis, we get to witness a court case waxing philosophic on the life of one of history's most notorious benefactors and traitors, Judas Iscariot. It is done particularly well and woven into the story is this court case that is on behalf of and against the salvation of one irredeemable soul. We get a host of witnesses, a self-righteous prosecutor, and an empathetic and endearing defender. We get to hear from the notables of the day, the cosmic characters at play, Judas's contemporaries and intimates. We get to hear from Judas himself. But the trick of this play is that the most important character, not to the plot or the scope of the story, but to the real meaning of the allegory, is a man loitering in the lobby in a hospital gown with absolutely no importance to the story at all. See, at the end of the play, we finally get to see Judas face off with Jesus Christ. And through a very intense scene, he actually fends off Jesus's attempt to forgive and redeem him. The play ends with Jesus walking away and the seeming insignificant character that we talked about with the hospital gown, beginning to monologue to Judas about the betrayal that he caused in his life. But his betrayal was to his marriage through adultery. After empathizing with Judas, he stoops low and he washes his feet. He becomes Jesus for Judas. Just talking about it just gives me goosebumps all over again. Which leads me to the nature of this podcast. The fifth business refers to a screenwriting term that originated in the theater, referring to a character that is not the main character, or even a secondary character through the story, but often are complete strangers that come into the story. They may clarify the truth, or possibly, or could be the agent of change that the story needs to move forward. I find this concept so fascinating as I have met many people that really operated as my fifth business and think that it is a wonderful metaphor for the podcast host and listener relationship. We often interact with each other as human beings in intangible ways through small, momentary relationships that have no connection beyond the moment. And the moment can change the way we view our secondary and primary relationships and how we interact with them. It may be simpler to think of these podcasts as essays on life, relationships, and spirituality. Hopefully from a humble standpoint. I'm just a single voice with no authority on anything. But I do find many things interesting and worth talking about. So those are the subjects 
that we will brush as we walk through this podcast together. And if I get the opportunity, I'll interview some interesting people on here and try some different formats. If someone decides to join me, we may do some roundtable discussions. I love to write and speak, although I am much better with the writing than the speaking. So this format is mostly experimental for me. Most of all, I love to teach. There is something about helping a person reach out to a larger world and see things with new eyes that energizes me. And I really like to challenge all those around me to really think because it helps spread the condition that I have, which is the propensity to overthink. Most of all, I would like to share a version of myself that is close to accurate and will try to be unpretentious in the process. And if you think I am, feel free to give me feedback. After all, I'm not a professional. I am simply a student on the air. I don't know if we need another podcast, but maybe if I can jump in. I mean, if it's not too much trouble and doesn't cost too many waves. What right do we have to dream? I find myself in two modes. Those two modes are likely a false dichotomy and there are many shades in between, but that is how they appear to me. I see it in two types of movies, the ones where people sacrifice dreams for people and movies where people sacrifice people for dreams. I think you've seen them before as well. It's a Wonderful Life is a Jimmy Stewart movie where he plays George Bailey, a man with big dreams, but bigger heart for his family and his town. We grieve each opportunity that he misses for his dreams as he sacrifices them for his family, for the town, for those less fortunate than him. The part that makes this movie a classic is the representation of that dark dystopian world without all that sacrifice and the grace returned at the end by George Bailey's town and his family. Sometimes I wonder if we're really watching a happy ending or maybe just a brief respite before the sacrifices intensify and George eventually burns out and runs out of things to give. The opposite of that movie can be shown in a small television series called Breaking Bad, where we follow Walter White seemingly on the track towards sacrificing everything for his family. But we find he's really sacrificing his family and friends in order to fulfill a dream. I don't want to reveal any spoilers, but his sickness is the galvanizing component that shows him exactly what he wants. So we see him make compromise after compromise, but not against his dream, but before, for the benefit of his dream. I have to wonder if there was satisfaction at the end of the series for Walter White. 
or if it was simply relief to have an end. I also wonder if, if really truly ambitious people do not have a wish fulfillment fantasy, but if they have absolutely no idea as to what would satisfy their hunger and achieve their dreams. With those being two dramatic examples, there are shades in between. From the collateral being noble ideas, beautiful dreams or well-deserved recognition, to friendships, intimate relationships, or sacrificing their own integrity, it sometimes seems that there are two options to every choice. Disappoint others, or just to disappoint yourself. Even if it isn't black and white. Even if the ideas are expressions of the human experience. Really, they just represent two failures that are possible in this life. Not even the only failures. And those failures are the failure to truly appreciate other people's humanity and the failure to appreciate your own humanity. The ebb and flow becomes simply this. We long to become more than who we are or we long to become less of who we are. C.S. Lewis rewrote the myth of Cupid and Psyche from Psyche's jealous sister's point of view. Now, I don't need to tell you that this character is completely fictional, but he really fleshes out her character as the story goes along, and it is interesting to have an outsider's perspective on what is such a known story, such a short and trite seeming story that we use to understand concepts in psychology, but we rarely sit and think about. So this novel long meditation on this story shows that her sister believes wholeheartedly that by urging Psyche to not trust Cupid to try and catch him, to allow their relationship to blossom, to not allow it to blossom, that she is wholeheartedly acting in the best interest of her sister by convincing her that watching Cupid in his other form, the monstrous form that we all know, will somehow be the key to truly understanding who Cupid is, and that she couldn't possibly love him without knowing what that monstrous form took. And this is her downfall. So fast forward, Psyche goes through what she goes through. Psyche's sister still doesn't understand the role that she played. And she dies, an old lady, and goes to a judgment after death where she is shown by the godlike figure of the almighty that her love was a selfish one and by looking out and pressing her views on others 
that she was actually taking from him. Slowly but surely. And she had a high view of her intentions, all the while having too low of a view of herself. This is a beautiful view of a person that has love for others, but no joy or dreams for themselves. So the question that leaves me with, is that really noble? Now, why is it that it is easy to idolize those that suffer for others? If the suffering is needless in the first place. Alternately, we have movies like the comedy Dan in Real Life with Steve Carell that exhibit a man that has devoted so much of himself to the happiness of his daughters that they are seriously unhappy with the results and push him to find happiness somewhere else, anywhere else other than theirs. We see the necessity of Dan becoming happy because his unhappiness is starting to make his relatively happy family miserable. He is caught in the dilemma of being selfish by indulging his feelings for his brother's girlfriend or remaining only the doting father of kids that are growing up and needing him less. This dilemma is played out to great comical effect and makes for some uncomfortable viewing at times. The resolution becomes not one of selfishness versus nobility and one winning out over the other, but actually honesty with oneself and others versus the path of self-denial and punishment. We are back to the hanging question at the beginning of the segment. What right do we have to dream? The Hebrew scriptures speak many times about dreams and vision. And one notable time is in Proverbs 29.18. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off their strength. But blessed is he who keeps the law. This is essentially pointing out that it is in human nature to lack self-control when there is no direction laid out before them. It is almost as if we need to know the destination before the going and the turning makes sense. What right does man have to dream? I don't know exactly, but what I do know is the necessity of such dreaming and how it helps us order our steps and choose our way. This has been the Fifth Business Podcast. If there is a subject that you would like to have addressed, please leave it in the comments. And remember, as Philip K. Dick once said, reality is that which when you stop believing in it doesn't go away. Goodbye for now.